Well, good morning, friends. I'm uh, going to invite you to grab your beverages and come on back in and take your seats. And we're going to uh, move into our time of teaching together this morning. My name's Brad. I'm part of the teaching and leadership team here at Jericho. Uh, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, want to welcome me here. And today, uh, we start the a portion of the year known as Advent. And Advent is composed of the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. And I didn't grow up with Advent. It wasn't part of my uh, tradition in any way. Um, how many of you did not grow up with Advent? So, yeah. So some of you. Um, Advent is the start of the Christian calendar. It's the start of the liturgical year. And historically, and in contemporary meaning, Advent is a season of preparation, a season of anticipation, a season of readiness. And as the time and the days grow their shortest and the darkness seems longer and longer, we gather around the light and we ready ourselves for the coming of Jesus. And here at Jericho, we're doing a deep dive into each of the themes of Advent. And so last year we started, uh, sometimes people will move through the themes of Advent one a week. So uh, hope, peace, joy, and love. Last year we spent all of December going through and looking at the theme of hope in the scriptures. What does it mean for us? And this year we're going to focus on the second theme of Advent, peace. And then we'll go on from there to talk more about joy and love. Uh, but to be honest with you, I have found it hard to move my heart to a place of readiness to enter into Advent, particularly as we press into the theme of peace. The carol says, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me, but I'm having the beginning with me part is a problem for me this year. And I was trying to think about why is this true? Why am I struggling with Advent this year? Maybe it's a chaos of the construction all around us and the drywall dust that uh, we see. Maybe, I don't know. Uh, maybe it's the state of family life. Meg's grandfather just passed away uh, a week and a half ago, and she's now uh, trying to get out of an ice storm in Ontario and board a plane and get home. We'll see how that goes. Uh, maybe it was the dog's dental surgery on Friday, 11 teeth pulled. When the bill came, it did not result in me having a peaceful experience. But... Then I think about the state of the world. I watch the news every night and, you know, between tensions in Hong Kong, war in Syria, North Korea threatening Japan, Brexit, U.S. politics, rioting in South America, famine in sub-Saharan Africa, stabbings in London and the Netherlands, like, not a lot of peace there in our world today. And so we wrestle. And it began to frustrate me. Why can't I put my finger on the notion of peace? Why can't I enter into peace and press in? And it struck me that in the church calendar, 
seasons of celebration where we can press in to something like peace are always preceded by an entire season of preparation. Lent precedes Easter. Advent precedes Christmas. And I think part of that is just recognizing that it's hard for us as humans to just sort of flip a switch and enter into some kind of peace or some kind of celebration. And that's why we need Advent. We need a season of readiness, of preparation of our hearts. And we also need Advent because Advent acknowledges that sense of longing. Advent puts front and center for us again the notion that things are not as they should be. There's a dissonance. There's an incongruity between what we see and feel around us and what we long for, what we hope for, and what we see. And that's the story really of Christ's first advent, Jesus coming to us in Bethlehem, and second advent. Advent is about the longings of our heart between those two times, the longings that have yet to be realized. Local author uh, Sarah Bessie says it this way, Advent matters because it's our way of keeping our eyes and our hearts and our arms wide open, even in the midst of our grief and our longing. The weary world is still waiting in so many ways, in so many hearts, in so many places for the fullness of the kingdom of God to come. And so Advent is for the ones who know longing. Advent's for us. Advent is for the ones who know longing. It's that waiting in the darkness for hope and peace and joy and love to come into our world. And the Old Testament prophets speak of that longing. They, they look to the future and they long and they pray for God's anointed deliverer, Messiah, to come. Isaiah declares God's intention in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. We've sung these words already this morning. For to us, Isaiah says, a child is born, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And his government and its peace will know no end. It will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David and for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. So Isaiah declares that the Prince of Peace is the one who will come and reign. And yet for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years after that prophetic declaration, nothing happens in relationship to the Prince of Peace. There's still wars that go on. Kingdoms rise and fall. People are displaced from their homes. Isaiah's announcement seems far off. Fairness, justice, the hallmarks of a peaceable existence 
were not coming to fruition in the way that God's people had imagined that they might. And then hundreds of years later, over the skies of the little village of Bethlehem, an angel appears and Luke's gospel records in Luke chapter 2 that the angel was joined by a vast host of other angels, the very armies of heaven spoken of in Isaiah. And the angels were praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. An angelic army declaring peace that there will be, has been, or will be peace on earth because of Jesus' birth. But again, peace doesn't somehow instantly come that night just because the angels have declared that the Prince of Peace has come. And so we have to wrestle with the notion of what does the angelic declaration of peace mean? Well, one thing it cannot mean is the total absence of struggle and troubles. Because Jesus grows up, he begins his teaching ministry, and he announces that God's kingdom has been initiated, that God's project of bringing shalom, a wholeness, and a peace is coming. But Jesus says that he's come to bring peace, but Jesus also promises something else. And so, as you hear me say frequently about myself, don't hear what I'm not saying, don't hear what Jesus is not saying. Don't hear what the angels are not saying. Jesus says quite clearly in John chapter 16, verse 33, I have told you all of this. Jesus has just spent time talking to his disciples about the troubles and hardships that they are going to face in the world. And Jesus says, I've given you all of this bad news, these things that are going to happen, so that you can have peace in me. Here on earth, Jesus says, you will have many trials and sorrows. Jesus is a realist. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. Here on earth, we talk about the promises of God. Promise of God, peace on earth. Let it be declared that good, God's favor rests on people. But also, another promise, you are going to have troubles. (laughs) This is going to be challenging. So it's not realistic for us to expect that a definition of peace means the absence of trouble or struggle in our lives or in the world. But notice that Jesus doesn't say, well, too bad, peace isn't attainable then, just you'll have to wait around for something to happen. Jesus says, you may have peace. Take heart. You can have peace in me, Jesus says. And see, the reason that peace can be found in Jesus is that peace is actually part of God's nature. Peace is part of God's divine nature. Peace is who God is. In Romans chapter 16, 
Paul says, the God of peace, the God who is peace, will soon crush Satan under your feet. 1 Corinthians 14, Paul is writing again to a church in conflict, and he says to them, God is not a God of disorder, but God is a God of peace. Or in 2 Corinthians 13, live in harmony and peace. Then the God of love and the God of peace will be with you. See, the New Testament witness is that God is peace, just like God is love. But our challenge is that we seem to equate, maybe this is just me, peace with sort of warm, fuzzy, non-conflicted feelings. Fuzzy feelings. But Romans says, the God of peace, peace is coming because God is crushing Satan under your feet. So God is, and in 1 Corinthians 14, disorder is being chased out so that peace can be demonstrated. And in 2 Corinthians, God is breaking down racial and economic barriers and prejudices, like we talked about in our fall series in Galatians, in order to see peace come amongst people so that people can live at peace. So peace isn't just sort of a warm fuzziness. Peace is often hard to come by, but it is part of God's divine nature. When we look at and think about history, we often see evidence of non-peace. At the dawn of the 12th century, the church was embroiled in a wee bit of controversy, as they like to say in the UK. Uh, the Pope had died, and there were two rival bishops that rose up in Europe, both saying, me, me, I'm the next Pope, pick me, pick me. And they began proclaiming and declaring that they were the next Pope. And nation states began to line up behind these two rival popes, and all of Europe was plunged into chaos in 1130. But a French Benedictine monk by the name of Bernard had founded an abbey in Clairvaux, and he had founded this abbey to try and get outside of the hustle and the bustle of life in the city so that he and his Benedictine monks could spend time in intimate communion with Jesus. And a monk by the name of Bernard was summoned to come and mediate between these two factions. Bernard was a calm but fierce presence. He was a master mediator and he traveled extensively around, listening clearly to both sides but also speaking truth to them. And he became known as the doctor of the church because of his capacity to bring healing to places that were conflicted. And in one of his famous Advent sermons, Bernard talks about Christ's first Advent, Jesus' birth in Bethlehem, second Advent, 
the yet future event when Christ will return to judge the living and the dead. And then he says, but don't forget there's a third advent. He says this, in the first coming, Jesus was seen on earth dwelling among men. In the final coming, all flesh will see the salvation of our God. But the third coming, the intermediate one, the one between those two comings, is a hidden one. This coming lies between the other two. It's like a road that we travel from the first coming to the last. In the first coming, Christ was our mediator. In the last, he will appear as our life. And in this middle coming, the third advent, Christ is our rest and Christ is our consolation. Bernard says, this third advent is where God comes to us today, where God meets each of us personally and individually in the midst of our lives, which can be chaotic and challenging, especially at this time of year, God comes to us. A third advent has the possibility of emerging in your life and in mine. On the road that you and I are traveling, Christ is coming and he can bring that peace that can be found in him. We light candles at Advent because we are reminding ourselves that the light of Christ is coming. It's coming into those places of longing, those places of desperation, those places where the deep wounds in our heart are not yet healed. It's places where third advent is needed. The longing for the single adult to be married, the longing of the addict to be free, the longing for places of brokenness in our hearts to be healed. Christ has come, Christ will come again, and in those places, Christ is coming. Because peace is part of God's divine nature. When God comes, God brings God's peace into those places. And we see in the scriptures that over and over again, peace is associated with the language of gift. That peace is God's gift to us. It's part of God's gift to us. Mary, the mother of Jesus, knew this. And in her prophetic and poetic song in Luke chapter 1, she says in verse 78 and 79, because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us or about to visit us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us on the path of peace. The language of gift is used because we need light to break into darkness and this is why we need the promises and the practices of Advent. Peace, because it's part of God's character, is part of God's gift to us.
when we receive and are open to it. But at the very same time that the Bible uses the language of gift to describe peace, it also uses a number of very action-oriented words to help us understand how peace comes. So peace, we don't just sit around and say, oh, well, I hope peace comes sometime soon. Over and over again, the language of peace is at the same time God's gift to us, but also something that we have to work hard at. Hebrews 12 says, pursue it, seek peace, go after it, chase it down. Or Ephesians says, bind yourselves together in peace, with peace. Work for peace. Jesus says in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who not wait for peace. Blessed are those who work for peace, those who are making peace. Or in 1 Peter 3, seek peace, find it, go after it. If it's hidden, keep looking. Put on peace, the language of taking something up like clothing and putting it on. Or Romans 12, Colossians 3, live in peace, actively, relationship words. These are all active, contending type words where we're not just sitting around going, peace will fall from the sky someday, I hope that's good. We're pressing in for it. We're fighting for it. And here at Jericho, we're part of the Mennonite Brethren Church family. And that is, uh, places us within the historic peace church tradition. And oftentimes when people think about the peace church tradition, they think about pacifism. And for many parts of the peace church's history, it has been very passive as a way of expressing that desire for peace, a kind of withdrawing, sometimes very cowardly withdrawing, running away, doing nothing when trouble comes, hoping that somehow it'll pass over. Not only nationally or internationally, but also interpersonally. Some of the Mennonites, when they settled in different parts of North America, were like, let's get out of town and go make our own little communities so we can be peaceable. But that is passivity. It's certainly not peacemaking. Because the language of pacifism, actually we never use it as Mennonite brethren to describe ourselves. We use the language of peacemaking. This is reflected in our Confession of Faith in Article 13. We say, we seek to be agents of reconciliation in all relationships to practice or to put into practice love of enemies as taught by Christ and to be peacemakers in all situations. See, peacemakers don't run away when conflict emerges because they understand that God is with them and God is a God of peace, they step into those situations with a desire to seek to bring peace, to bring the God of peace and the message of peace to places where conflict exists. And we have not always done this well as a historic peace church. But for all of the people who understand and want to desire to practice peace, 
The peace church should be the doctors of the church and the world, bringing peace by the work that we do. And there are many people doing good work out in the world. Anglican priest and author of the wonderful book, Liturgy of the Ordinary, Sacred Practices in Everyday Life, Tish Harrison Warren wrote a beautiful opinion piece in yesterday's New York Times about Advent. And in it, she highlights this notion that we live in this time between first and second Advent. We live between the already and the not yet parts of the coming of the kingdom of God. And so she said this, to practice Advent is to lean into an almost cosmic ache, our deep wordless desire for things to be made right and the incompleteness we find in the meantime. Because we dwell in the world still racked with conflict, violence, suffering, darkness. Advent holds space for our grief and it reminds us that all of us in one way or another are not only wounded by the evil in the world, but we are also wielders of it. We contribute our own moments of unkindness or impatience or selfishness. See, this is a hard tension for us to live into. On the one hand, peace is God's gift to us. In John 14, 26, Jesus says, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. The peace I give is a peace the world cannot give. Do not be troubled. Do not be afraid. And yet, we experience trouble and fear and grief and evil, and we not only experience it, sometimes we perpetuate it in selfishness and in greed, sometimes in our consumerism and our ecological choices, we add to the lack of peace in the world. And so sometimes entering into Advent can feel tricky because it can feel a little bit hopeless. Well, what can we do? What can I do? Other than longing, aching, I get it. What do we do? Well, I want to suggest a few spiritual practices that mirror this tension of peace being a gift, but also something that we have to fight for and wrestle for. And what I want us to do in the month of December is to try and become a practicing community. And what I mean by that is not just sort of sit on a Sunday and go, oh, that was lovely, that talk about peace. It was just so helpful but to actually figure out what are some ways that you could take this conversation outside of a Sunday morning and have Advent be not just a Sunday thing, but be for you an everyday kind of thing. So that's why you noticed in the info sheet we're promoting uh, a daily reading, which is quite short and doable uh, from our MB seminary as a way of just daily reminding ourselves. You can get it emailed to you or you can download it in a digital format as a way of reminding ourselves, giving ourselves some tools to practice Advent, to practice peace and pursue it all month long. So here's our first assignment. Because peace is a gift from God who loves to give good gifts, 
we're invited to take the posture of receiving in the month of December. So practice one is receive or learn to receive God's gift of peace. Think about a gift giving exchange for a minute. When someone gives you something, what do you need to do? You need to receive it. Absolutely. Just They're going to hand you something Christmas Day. You know, they're going to go under the tree and they're going to get something out. The gift giver is coming and you need to receive that gift. You need to actually take the posture of a recipient. And the same is true when it comes to learning to live into receiving God's peace. One of the things that can be helpful is to take a posture of readiness that you say, I'm ready to receive the peace, God, that you desire to bring. And so I know for me, what this looks like is, um, the house is, our house is most peaceful. We have teenagers, so it's very seldom peaceful. But it's most peaceful before anyone else gets up in the morning. And I am most peaceful after I have coffee in my system. And so that intersection between post-coffee and pre-other people getting up is the most peaceful time when for me, that's, that just works for me to engage in uh, a conversation with God. And so I just carve out a quiet place, I turn the fireplace on, I get my coffee, and as I start the day, sometimes I'll just take a physical posture of readiness and openness to receive from God. So I'll just sit in my chair, and sometimes I'll just open my hands, palms up, and just say, God, I want to receive from you this morning. What is it that you have to give me as a gift? And I'll just sit with that for a little while. Sometimes, I, as I go into my practice of scripture intake, sometimes I feel like it gets clearer as I get into scripture. Other times, I don't have any specific sense of it, so I just say, all right, thanks God for this quiet time, and I just continue to move on into my day. But um, for me, and maybe for you, there is something powerful about connecting our physical bodies to our spiritual desires and longings. That's why sometimes around Jericho, you'll see people raising their hands in worship, or when we pray, sometimes we'll use our bodies. Sometimes people will kneel, or people will hold their hands open saying, God, I want to receive from you or I want to give you some burden that I'm carrying. We're saying with our bodies that which our hearts or our spirits desire to say. And so for me, a physical posture of readiness to receive from God is saying to God, I'm ready, God. I'm listening. I want to pay attention. Some people can do this with music I find for me it works best in a quiet place. You'll have to figure out what works best for you. Sometimes um, I do this when I'm, when I'm out for a run. I just won't take my music or anything. I'll try and find a trail or a quiet place where I can just think and uh, take that posture of readiness. Other people find it works for them in their car. If you're going to do that, keep your hands on the wheels so you have a physical posture of safety, not a physical posture of readiness, just so we're clear. Um, so you'll need, to, you'll need to experiment with what works for you. 
But the next part of that then is once you've taken a posture of readiness, take a posture of faith and pray and say, God, this is what I need. Ask God, press in and say, God, I need you to grant me the gift of your peace, even in the midst of the chaos of your life. Maybe for you this feels challenging because you look at the various components of your life and you think, that would be very challenging for God to give us peace or me peace in the midst of this. And, and so it is an act of faith, as is all prayer. And sometimes we get challenged because when we listen to people pray, like Gary Stevenson or Pastor Wally or others, we can think, excuse me, I'm going to sneeze. <coughs> excuse me. We can think that um, prayer is like, has to be a set of fancy words spoken just right. But really prayer is just a simple conversation between you and God. And so it can, you can keep it real simple. You can just say things like, God help. Or, God, I feel a little bit lost and confused. I don't know what to do. Or, God, I'm experiencing this challenge. Can you help? Speak it out. Maybe you write it out. Maybe that works better for you. Maybe you're a journaler weights and burdens that you're carrying. Ask God in faith, God, I want your peace to come into my life, into my home. Scripture says sometimes we have not because we ask not. And so maybe for you, you need to get bold this Advent and press in and say, God, I need to wrestle with you for some peace. And one of the greatest gifts that that God gives us is not actually even peace in our inner self, peace in relationships with other people, peace beyond that in a community or globally. Romans chapter 5 reminds us that one of the greatest gifts that God gives us is peace with God, reconciled relationship with God. Romans 5 says, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing in God's glory. By faith, you can experience reconciled relationship with God. And maybe for you today, that's what you need to hear and press into this Advent. Maybe for you, you've never actually spoken those words out and said, God, I need you. Not just about my problems in my life, but actually saying to God, you know what? I'm coming with my whole self and I'm saying, I cannot do this life on my own. I need to submit to you, and I need to experience that peace with you. 
by faith because of what Jesus has done. And so the way to do that is just coming to God with simply saying, God, I am sorry. I admit I cannot do this on my own. I am beyond the end of my rope. And I need you. I need peace with you. And if you've never spoken those words out, one of the things that our prayer team would be privileged to lead you through today as that declaration in prayer and in faith saying, Jesus, I come to you. I need you. I want to start a life with you by faith so I can experience peace with God. Praying in faith, asking you, asking God to grant you the gift of God's peace is an incredible and powerful thing. The last part of that practice, and I heard it mentioned when we said, what do you do when somebody gives you a gift? I think Sandy said it. You say thank you. (laughs) So maybe for you a practice would be a practice of gratitude. At the end of a day, just take a minute and notice, is there anywhere today where peace actually came? I prayed for it. I asked God to press into it. Did it happen? Maybe it only came for a millisecond. (laughs) But pause, go over the day in your mind, and say, thank you, God. Thanks for that encouraging text from my friend. Thank you, God, for that experience of peace that I had just observing the sunset. Thank you, God, that my kids didn't argue as much today as yesterday. Thank you, God, for a good meal, our good friends. Thank you for that parking spot close to the doors. Pro tip, if you want peace this Advent, Costco is not the place for you to go (laughs) and find it. But you might have a moment in the midst of your day. So practice gratitude. Just say, God, thank you for that peace. So this is the second practice. That's the first practice, the practice of receiving God's grace. Peace is a gift. The second practice is more of that active type. We've received a gift, so part of our responsibility as people of faith, as people of God's grace, as people who know the Prince of Peace, is then to press in and to let that flow from our lives into the lives of others, to be peace givers or peacemakers. And there's so many ways that you could do that. We're going to talk about some of the interpersonal ways you can do that as we go through this series in December. But let me just suggest two for you that'll kind of hit you maybe this week in some way that you can put into practice. The first one is your social media feeds will be filled with a lot of things in December. But one of them will be, hopefully, stuff about Giving Tuesday. And so you might want to practice peace by giving to a charity that will impact the lives of people, maybe people that you'll never meet. Because one of the challenges about peace is it can become very individualized, very privatized. Do I have peace? Do we have peace? Do me and my people have peace? But the invitation of the angels is for peace on earth. 
goodwill to all humankind. And so the light and the life that Jesus brings is for all people. And one way to be a peacemaker is to practice generosity beyond your immediate sphere. Practice generosity to those you will never meet personally, perhaps. In 2012, the 92nd Street Y in New York City and the United Nations Foundation lost, launched an initiative of generosity to follow up on the heels of the highly consumeristic American Thanksgiving where we gorge on Turkey, our friends south of the border, Black Friday, we gorge on shopping, Cyber Monday, we gorge on electronics. And then they said, well, what if we tried to counter that by staking out the Tuesday after that as a time of giving. And so Giving Tuesday was born. And only a few short years later, there are millions and millions and millions of acts of generosity individually, corporately, and uh, that, that pile up on top of each other on this really cool day. So why not participate? Make a choice. Figure something out this week to participate. Give towards an initiative that brings peace to a part of the world that needs it. Maybe you give through a Mennonite Central Committee, MCC, to projects that work on reconciliatory justice. Or uh, we have a partnership here at Jericho with Under the Same Sun, and they work for justice for people with albinism in Tanzania. And we sent a team there last summer and have been involved there for a number of years. And they, we noted it in the info sheet, they have a matching grant campaign of their own underway till Tuesday uh, for the work with persons with albinism in Tanzania. And so, might I suggest that whatever money you saved on that television that you just bought, Take the difference, which you were intending to pay anyways, and then give it away. Be generous. Give peace to others. Don't just keep it to yourselves. And another way that you can participate in peace is speaking peace to people. And Pastor Wally mentioned that today we're launching our uh, Christmas blessing campaign, and we have five supported workers here at Jericho. And missions giving comprises always uh, no less than 10% of our budget. So we are always trying to give away the things that God has given to us and be generous. These families and uh, these ministries that are represented on there obviously receive support above and beyond 10% of our budget that we give them. Many of you support them personally and individually. And so one of the things that you might notice on this particular uh, giving Christmas blessing campaign is that we've included their emails. And the reason we've included their emails is we want to open up a channel for you to be able to speak peace, words of peace and blessing into the lives of each of these five missionaries. So at the bottom of each descriptor, they ask for prayer. They're specific, real-time, real-world things that they're saying, would you join me in praying for this? And so maybe for you this week, and this wouldn't cost you anything except for time, send them an email and say, hey, I'm joining you in praying for that request that you made. Send them a word of blessing. Send them a gift. Let them know that you're standing with them 
in this season. That might be a way of actively becoming a person of peace who gets practiced at speaking out peace into the lives of others. Ron and Emery and the team are coming and they're going to lead us in two songs of response to God in worship. And as they do, I want to just close by reminding us that this peace that is declared, this peace that God promises to us is not just an interior feeling that you might get. God's promise is designed to be walked out, to be lived out. That's why Bernard uses that example of a path. And Luke uses that example. When Mary invites and declares peace, she says, God's, what God's going to do is he's going to put our feet onto the path of peace. We're going to walk out peace. That's going to take some action on our part. And so the invitation for us then is to carry the peace of Christ with us to the various corners of the world of Surrey and Langley and Maple Ridge and Abbotsford and Vancouver where you go this week to be a bringer of peace to those that do not yet know peace. And so, Jericho, as you stand with me and we respond in sung worship, I invite you to stand and remember that wherever your path takes you this week, because God is with you, you are a bringer of peace. You are a bringer of hope. You are a bringer of light. You are the ones who are charged with bringing peace into those places where it has not yet fully come. And so as we worship, the, the language in the, of these two songs gives voice to that. And you might want to, again, just in worship, give a bodily, physical expression to that by raising your hands or by declaring that in some way. And so let's remember that peace is something not just for us to experience, but to also take into the world.